welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest news stories in MMA. On today's episode, we'll take a look back at the biggest stories in 2023. Gorgeous George here on the con, and look at the distinguished panel we have for you today. We got Goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's in Las Vegas. The Boston Shot Caller makes his glorious return to SBC. He's in Boston, duh. And of course, the MMA media titan is back. Mike Bond joins us from Toronto. Cold coffee is on the ones and twos. Let's get to it. So guys, on November 20th, Professional Fighters League dropped the bombshell that most of us expected when they acquired Bellator MMA. Though we weren't flooded with details, we got a few bullet points. In 2024, PFL will launch Bellator International Championship Series. That will consist of eight events, they told us. The PFL champions versus the Bellator champions will take place in 2024. A few champions even already faced off at the finale that they had uh, in November. And lastly, they laid claim to the fact that PFL and Bellator combined, their, their roster is equal to the UFCs, each holding 30% of the top 25 talent. All right, guys. What was your general reaction to this huge news? Will this be the industry-shifting move PFL hopes it will be? Nolan, you get the first take this week. Yeah, I think it's um, it's there's there's going to be a lot that has to happen before we start making those sort of claims that PFL's vision for this thing is going to come to fruition, right? Um, it's an interesting, it's, it's one of the most interesting times in the industry for good and bad. Um, I think getting rid of one of the three premier organizations, one of the three options that fighters have essentially, um, is going to hurt a lot of free agents. It's, it's not good for the sport as a whole in, in terms of the fighters business side. Um, but at the same time, I do think that as a fan and as a fighter, um, and, and for PFL, if you're in the brass, it is an interesting time in this industry um, to have kind of a major player like this emerge or two, two major players form into one. This is a massive deal in, in terms of um, a number of different things, right? I think that the UFC has always had, or for a long time has had the best talent pool. I still think that's the case. I don't think they have anything to worry about in that regard, but to have a very, very, very strong number two like this with such a, a deep talent pool um, is going to make for some interest. I think it's what PFL and Bellator needed was to something to really energize their brands and coming together has done that. I mean, all of a sudden now people are talking about these PFL versus Bellator fights. Like Bellator was putting on great fights, I think, for the last two years in terms of merit-based matchups, having really good, doing a really good job of building some young, young talent and develop, developing them into champions or contenders. And it was like nobody really it – it was hard to get people to care. A lot of people felt like they couldn't watch it. They didn't know where to watch it. They didn't want to pay for showtime. So to have uh, people talking about these fights again, that's a huge thumbs up for Bellator. And then for PFL, I think there's a certain amount of credibility that comes from them coming from a promotion that really seemed like it was on the ropes, to, you know, somehow ending up on ESPN, doing something different with the tournament style. And now they all of a sudden have built themselves to be – uh, you know, what, what Don Davis and Peter Murray and everybody have been saying for a while, which is, you know, to be that definitive number two. Um, I remember when they first said that there was a lot of people, even on the Bellator side behind the scenes and stuff, that kind of scoffed at that. And, and it did feel at the time, even from our position, the PFL was almost trying to use Bellator's name in a similar way that Bellator tries to use the UFC's name to kind of prop themselves up. But here we are, and they're the definitive number two. This year is going to be very interesting. Um, how do they delegate their resources? What kind of fights are we putting on? Are these pay-per-views going to be, when you look at it, you're going to say, you know what, I will show up 50, 60 bucks for that. that. That's a really good card. That all has to remain to be seen. So there's a lot that needs to happen before we even start talking about them being in a competition with the UFC, a true like neck and neck competition with the UFC in terms of their brands. I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll ever happen, but it'll be interesting as a case study to see what happens when a, a strong number two like this comes together. Mm -hmm. all right goes you've seen quite a few mergers over your lifetime what did you think of this one did it wow you even though we were kind of expecting you did it still kind of blow you away when it finally happened well i feel like some of the other ones that you're mentioning particularly the strike force one just they felt like they happened overnight and, and with this one it just went on for so long that i think we all kind of had an idea we were going in that direction but at the end of the day it's a huge step forward in the sense that you're solidifying your company as a proper number two right 
if you're expecting Pride versus the UFC, where Pride had a way a way better roster in certain divisions, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think we're we're pretty far from something like that. But where I do think they will have a, an effect is like Nolan said. I think your C and B level fighters they just have less options. That's going to be a little bit difficult on them. But your A level talent, I think that's where we're going to see uh, a big mark, especially in the way that the UFC can leverage their negotiation tactics against these guys because now they do have that other option right if you're a high level ufc athlete you can go over to the pfl and possibly try and make that million dollars or or get something maybe not to the extent of what francis and ganu got right but about just the ability the flexibility of pfl and letting an athlete go box or let them do something else um i think there's something to be said in that and i think that will probably change the way the UFC has to negotiate with some of these athletes. It won't be so much our way or the highway because it's kind of proven that you can leave the UFC and do something else and make a good paycheck. So I think it'll have those types of effects. But overall, the product, I feel like maybe the decision to to, to buy them and get that over with, it uh, that was the most important thing. And I'm not so sure they have all the answers that they want as far as what they're going to do moving forward, because there's so many options, so many fighters, seasons versus Grand Prix, all that stuff. Do you want to just do it all together? So many questions, but I mean, the only ones that are going to end up winning in this situation are the fans, right? The fans are going to love uh, whatever comes out of this because the amount of talent that they have together won't make for a lot of fun matchups. All right. Of course, we go to Mike Bond in Toronto. Same as goes. You've covered a few of these now. Uh, what were your thoughts, man, of PFL acquiring Bellator and its roster? Well, it is interesting, right? Because I think last year we had on the same podcast kind of wrapping up the year, one of the things was like, who is the number two in the industry? And I think I had said that PFL had kind of stepped into that spot and I thought they had established themselves as the number two. And I think that got a few people at Bellator a bit upset, but it's just kind of the way I saw it unfold over the course of the year. So I guess this is kind of a gradual step forward uh, for them to make a big acquisition like this and try to uh, take their company to the next level. So this is a huge deal in terms of where they're trying to get, be that co-leader in the industry. I think, you know, Nolan laid it out pretty well, how many challenges still come in terms of doing that. But uh, clearly there's dedication, there's resources, uh, them aligning with, you know, the people and the money involved in Saudi Arabia, as well as obviously uh, a huge thing in terms of their flexibility and trying to make stuff happen. And yeah, I guess it just depends like on how are they really going to unfold this and, how much are they going to follow through in terms of these plans? Like you go to these PFL events and they have the signage up being like PFL Europe, PFL Africa, PFL Asia. Like in some sense, if they can execute that, that could be great for the industry, right? Like you can get some of these fighters in Europe who struggle to get more than a couple fights a year when Bellator like pops over there and, you know, puts 20 fights on a, on a card in Ireland or whatever. Like maybe there's going to be more consistency for that. And same goes if they do move into Africa and Asia and things like that. So there is a potential for this to be a good thing, even from like more of a grassroots level of the sport. But when you talk about their biggest shows, they're going to be trying to do these pay-per-views. That's where the real challenge is going to come in because you would imagine that's where uh, they're hoping for the biggest return on investment and they're going to put their biggest names and all that. So it's tricky like to maximize this platform will their season model continue to work like where you can't necessarily um, do selective matchmaking and you never know who's going to come through that uh, your biggest paid guys or biggest name guys can lose in the first round as we've seen many times throughout this tournament and season format um, so how does that work in terms of like building stars and trying to to manage the roster and put together the biggest fights so they have some decisions to make but uh, they have seemingly the resources. They have uh, now the assets. So, and now they have an ESPN deal again. So, there's some security there as well. Uh, so, obviously, this has been a fantastic year if you're on the PFL side, not so much if you're on the Bellator side, because uh, that brand just seems like it's on life support a little bit at this point. Like, is this going to exist beyond 2024 with the? Bellator attachment? Or are they just trying to figure out their obligations for television and kind of move on at that point and will be, all become PFL? So there's a lot of evolving stuff here, but 
they put themselves in a great spot and you know put their money where their mouth is literally at this point. Mm-hmm. Mike, I want to go in reverse order here for a couple of follow-ups I have for you guys. As a fan, which you are, and as someone that's covered the sport for such a long time, do you think Bellator and PFL can put cards together that would get you more pumped up over some, look, some UFC fight nights? We just kind of look at them and go, what? And that's just not us. It's the fans. I mean, sometimes we skip them or whatever. Do you think that's where maybe Bellator and PFL, or sorry, it's PFL going forward, can find their sweet spot? You can just call it PFL Tour. I'm PFL-tour. still taking credit for coining that one. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> sure, they could. But is that even a fair question? Like, could PFL's best card be better than a low-quality fight night at the Apex? Like, yeah, obviously they could do that. But can they do that consistently every weekend every couple months, once a quarter, like that's where the challenge comes in, right? Like obviously PFL has the roster to do a great card, but can they do six great cards a year or more? That's where the biggest challenge comes in. Yeah. And chat room, not to go out of order. Guys, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say not to go out of order. I don't know what you guys feel, but to Mike's point too, I think the fact that there is the structure right now is still really weird coming into this year. Like I'm not even talking about just the Bellator brand you know, when Don Davis made this announcement, he had five different, he's like, here's our five different fight series that will be under the PFL umbrella. So I think a big part of it is like for fans, like the storylines and getting hooked on it. And I think the season differentiated them from, from the rest of the pack. It was a good way to stick out when Bellator existed, but I almost wonder if it does hurt that sort of aspect where the fighters, the the fans start to really get involved and care about the fighters and care about their journeys when you throw them in that tournament. So I don't know what you guys feel like, but I wouldn't even be mad if necessarily they scrapped the tournament come 2025. Mm-hmm. I think they'll have to go that direction. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's inevitable. I think that's where it's going to go, right? Like, I, I don't think this season format is necessarily sustainable for the long term when you're just trying to put together the biggest fights and trying to make you know these cards big and these um you know pay-per-views now that they're gonna have to be selling it's just tricky maybe they go in a different way and have like you know some of their very like their lower tier talent do the tournaments and then just have everyone else in kind of one-offs but let that be their Dana white contender series version yeah you guys do this on the side and the big names do the arena series I mean, that sounds great, but are you willing to pay $7 million annually, a million per weight class for that? That seems yeah, like... Yeah, no, we'd have to cut down on the amount of M's they dole out for so, sure. But and then still, that takes away the value of the whole thing and one of the key selling points, right? That you can be this person and come over here and win this tournament and get a million dollars and change your life. And you know, maybe you went two and five or three and six in the UFC, but that doesn't preclude you from doing this, which is great for the athletes and for the sport and all that stuff, but... Uh, again, if we're talking about the promotion, the business side, is that sustainable? Is that something you can build a long-term successful brand off of? And that, mm-hmm. that's, I think, going to be the biggest question is the allocation of the resources here um, and what they're going to do with it. Because at some point, we've seen it so many times, no matter how much Saudi money you have, the investments, this, that, and the other thing, at some point, people get fed up with just you know losing money on every single event and coming out uh you know under the under the money line every single year so at some point it's gonna have to turn profitable you would imagine in some degree i'm curious to see i think mike might have brought it up but the matchmaking and which direction they go with that because if you guys remember when the wec came over when those guys came over for a long time it felt like you had the wec 155ers and the ufc 155ers and it was a division we interviewed a lot of them and they felt like we still feel like we're representing the wec they didn't take us serious and if you're going to do champion versus champion well then you're going to get a lot of answers there right away right but if bellator comes in and mops the floor with pfl talent <laughs> going forward are they gonna how are they gonna match make that you know do they do they want to put favorable matchups towards some of the pfl guys to kind of get a little face back i don't know i think that's going to be kind of interesting going forward to see how they is actually that- match make is that what you're most fired up about, Goes? Is those face those face offs? They had a couple of them. They had Magomed Magomed Karimov versus uh, Jason Jackson, and I believe they had Patricio Pitbull Frady versus Jesus Pinedo. Were you kind of already thinking that's going to be a good way to ignite these things? Uh, you know, ignite 2024. It's weird because you know, like that is fun, obviously, right? When you saw Pitbull and Pinedo, you think that's a great matchup, but it doesn't always yeah. work out that way, right? If, if you're gonna if you're gonna put a uh, cyborg. And Pacheco, well, aren't we all kind of be wishing that was Kayla Harrison? So 
I don't know. It can it can it can kind of go both ways, but I like the fact that they did it. I thought it, it kind of uh, set the foundation for the future. Got people something to talk about, and that's what they need. Nolan, you've sat cage side for a lot of Bellator events, so you know you know a lot of the organization. And Scott Coker is not going to come over. The president of Bellator is not going to come over, but Mike Hogan is their matchmaker. What are your thoughts on him? It seems like a lot of po fighters have positive things to uh, to say about him, but are you a fan of his style of matchmaking? And do you think he'll be well received at Bell, uh, PFL? Excuse me, PFL tour. And that's Mike Bonds, everybody. I'm seeing the chat light up with that. I've heard other shows light up with that, but I'm pretty damn sure Mike Bond coined it. So give him his due. Yeah, we gotta Bond. You gotta trademark that or something. But <laughs> um, in terms of Mike Kogan, man, I, I definitely think the, he was very popular among the fighters. Um, you know, you saw when the merger happened a lot of fighters came out and in their kind of reactions to the merger they mentioned him and they hoped that he came over and it wasn't just you know i think sometimes people see tweets from certain managers and stuff and they think like oh this manager's you know spamming something like that on all his clients pages and that may be true but i did notice it seemed to me that there was a large deviation and um there was a lot of diversity when it came to who, which fighters were saying that, right? We had like the, the Pitbull brothers were saying it. We had um, a number of the different Russian fighters were saying it. We had, I saw Logan, Sto uh, Logan Storley come out and say it. I saw Patchy Mix say it. So there was a number of different fighters from all different walks of life, different management groups, whatever, um, that definitely said that. And a lot of the people I talked to behind the scenes on the management side also were, were hopeful that they would, he would come over, not just because of his, their dealings with him in Bellator, but they also felt like, that sometimes their interactions with PFL ha historically haven't been the best. They haven't necessarily had that sort of MMA rapport that they've, you know, they, sometimes I've, I've kind of gotten the feeling from, and it's been explicitly said to me that sometimes they feel like they just, they're kind of a cog in the machine. They're just dealing with, they're just kind of a number. Sometimes it's hard to get in touch with people. So and that's not everybody at PFL, but there are certain people that I know managers deal with that that's the way they feel. So to have somebody that does have that, um, table side manner in terms of the negotiating table. Um, I do think that the fighters seem to be very happy with it, which is a big part of the big picture, right? Um, in terms of his matchmaking, talent development, stuff like that, I think you kind of saw him take the reins a little bit more in the last year or two of Bellator in terms of putting together matchups that test the prospects, which I kind of like. I think he's done a good job of going out there and maybe getting those free agents at the UFC, not necessarily prospects, but I'm talking like free agents the UFC might not look at that are in Russia, you know, guys like Tafik, guys like Alexander Shabli, um, you know, he's fluent in Russian, so he's got a very good connection with that part of the world. You know, Mansoir um, Barnawai from, uh, he was out in Korea, um, you know, for a while they're competing kind of under underrated under the radar. So those are the kind of things that he was responsible for there. I think Coker was more kind of like the big picture, you know, getting the Musasis and the Fedors and kind of seeing what they want to do and making them happy and, and some of the bigger stuff. So to kind of just put in perspective for people, that was kind of his role was doing maybe those more nitty gritty, making your lineup sort of deeper things for Bellator. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. By the way, you can participate in the show if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, hit us up here with a question, comment. The better, the more quality the question, comment, the more likely it's to be included in the show. I'm going to go through a few of them right now. Also, quick request, if you can hit that like button, it sure would make me happy. Uh, all right, so Crisco Wild says, I want to see Nganu versus Bader in PFL, uh, PFL Tour. That would be neat. Michael Salazar has got another opinion. He says, I like the show. I say this respectfully. I don't think you guys need to touch base on anything that deals with PFL and Bellator. I don't think there's enough fans lining to hear up about PFL. Fight Science, Fight X Science says, Mike, to Mike Salazar. All the hardcore fans care. Uh, Crisco Wild says, I actually wouldn't mind more coverage on organizations that aren't UFC. I like MMA in general, not just the number one company. All right. And yes, B. Will, can we all just call this information PFL tour? We're trying, bud. We're trying. I'll keep hammering the questions and comments here in the chat. Danny Segura, come on, man. It's your day off. He's in here with his burner under Big Ben 316. He's he says, I'm here for Danny S. Let's go. Danny, we love you, man. But come on, take, enjoy the day off. All right, we're going to go to uh, topic number two. We head back to early 2023 in January. That's when UFC President Dana White informed us that the UFC had parted 
ways with the baddest man on the planet. That's UFC heavyweight champion France Ngannou. The MMA leader could not come to terms with Ngannou, uh, but this time it wasn't just about the money. It was about freedom and respect. Ngannou wound up signing for the PFL while retaining the ability to pursue boxing, which was a longtime dream of the Predator. Though he didn't log any time, or sorry, I should say, so he hasn't logged any time in the smart cage. He sure as heck did in the boxing ring. His opponent, by the way, was none other than boxing heavyweight champion Tyson Fury. Everyone but Michael Salazar knows that one. Anyway, guys, the general reaction here. Who got the better end of this? Who won? The UFC or Ngannou? Goes? Um, you know, I think I think Francis Ngannou was the true winner, of course. Um, if you look at the ways that he won, there's just so many different things that kind of fell into place for him. He did ask a lot of the UFC, and I think part of that that negotiation process with him I think maybe the UFC could have bent on some other things. I think he made some things outrageous in hopes that they would just do the other stuff. But uh, Francis Ngannou, I mean, he was he was able to not only fight for himself, but fight for all fighters, right? His opponents to get money. He was able to go do the boxing side, which absolutely worked out for him. Because early on, you could say, all right, everything that they said when he signed, he's already a winner. But what if he goes over to boxing and he gets completely thumped, which a lot of people thought was going to happen. You're going up against a high level boxer, one of the greatest to ever do it. Uh, at that point, does he still carry the baddest man on the planet label, right? If he's over there and that happens to him and he put up such a great fight that we, a lot of us just forget he lost the fight. He felt like the winner that night because of the way he fought. So, so many things just kind of fell in his lap. Uh, that we all just didn't think would be possible. I do think he was the winner in that sense, but I think you can make an argument for the UFC winning in a certain to a certain extent. In when you think about the foothold that they put, you know, the, the they put their foot on fighters' necks, and maybe they were able to kind of hold on to that because if you give in to some of Francis Ngannou's demands, some of the things he wanted. Uh, that might work for Francis Ngannou, but guess what? The next guy's going to knock on the door and he's going to want the same thing. That's just happened repeatedly in the UFC. It's happened in our sport. And I don't blame fighters for wanting that. You know, the first guy to, to not hold the belt and want pay-per-view points and all that, or or, or the, the, the first guy to ask for a, a suite, all these little things, like, they just happen. Fighters talk. Goes from one guy to the next guy. And if you give in to Francis Ngannou on some of those things, the next guy is going to start to ask for the same stuff. You look at Conor McGregor and some of the things he's been able to get away with and the effect that he's had on the rest of the roster. So in a way, I think you could say the UFC maybe uh, won a little bit in being able to still hold that command over their fighters. But at the end of the day, uh, Francis Ngannou was a massive victory for him. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Mike, you know, you've seen the whole year play out. This is like a year long thing here that 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 happened. Him, you know, parting ways, getting signed. I think a future opponent gets two million dollars. Obviously, it was too late for the season. So he wasn't a, a participant. We know he's going to be a pay-per-view guy. And then he goes out to Saudi Arabia and has that awesome performance in the boxing ring. How about you, man? Do you feel the same way? A lot of people do. And Ganu won. But what about from the UFC side? Did Did, did, did they win at all? Mm, yeah, I think what Ghost said there is pretty much like the only context if you want to spin an angle of the UFC somehow getting like a win in this scenario, it's that they were able to maintain their status quo and you know not change the landscape and not give fighters a different type of leverage, uh, yada, yada, all those things Ghost said, those were good points there. Um, but yeah, obviously Francis is the big winner in this scenario. This is more than a year-long story, right? Like this goes back to pretty much January 2021 or 2022, whatever it was, where he fought Surreal Gone. And we all knew that he was kind of on the last fight of his contract and there was going to be the sunset clause coming on. So this has been something that's been crescendoing uh, for quite a while here. And then obviously it, it came to the point where uh, they claimed they offered him the highest contract for a heavyweight besides Brock Lesnar or whatever the quote Dana White was, and then insinuated uh, he didn't want to fight John Jones because it was too big of a risk. And then they finally kind of let him out of that final stage of, I guess, the matching period or exclusive negotiating period, whatever it was for his contract, which really gave him the freedom. So yeah, for Francis to walk out there with a UFC heavyweight title around his waist and then go do what he did. I mean, how many times did we talk about this? throughout the years or the year rather uh, people criticizing him for 
leaving that money on the table, that Jones fight on the table, fumbling the bag, all these things uh, that were kind of associated with him. And he basically proved everyone wrong in you know, every sense. So, yeah, this was a, a tremendous year for Francis Ngannou. Uh, I think he did show that empowerment for fighters can still exist. Uh, how many people can actually get there and replicate his circumstances? Probably not many. It was a very unique thing. And from the sounds of it, the UFC has kind of gone um, to take measures to prevent similar things from this happening in terms of adjusting the verbiage in their contracts and things like that. So, yeah, we might not ever see anything like this again, uh, the way Francis kind of played his cards here, uh, because it doesn't seem like the same deck is going to exist for other people going forward. So um, yeah, big time stuff for him. And yeah, in terms of the performance, like what can you say? He went in there and chalked us all against Tyson Fury. And now it seems like something else as big is probably going to fall into his lap in 2024 in terms of maybe like a fight with whether it's this mixed rules thing with Deontay Wilder, or maybe Anthony Joshua could be back on the table. That seemed to be the most appealing thing. So whatever it's going to be, he'll fight MMA at some point it's going to be big stuff for him. And I think he's one of the few people outside the UFC uh, that can actually uh, herd an audience to come watch him. Mm-hmm. All right, Nolan, how about you, man? Who do you feel got the better end of the deal with, you know, Ngannou and UFC parting ways? Yeah, not to be too repetitive, just because I kind of agree with everything that's been said so far. So I'll, I'll be kind of quick, but, you know, obviously Francis in terms of his battle, that battle, was a big winner. Um, he went on and not only got the fight, which everybody, I think a lot of people thought would be very difficult for him to do to have an actual pro boxing match against Tyson Fury that ends up happening. And not only that, but he goes out there and performs so well, a lot of people thought he won. So I think just that was literally probably the best case scenario for him across the board, just unreal playing of cards that ended up materializing in something great. Um, but to Mike's point, um, you know, in terms of the UFC's whole portfolio, I don't think that in, in their whole roster and, you know, all their moving parts they have going on, it's going to take, you know, a lot more than that for for just one fighter leaving for any sort of significant change to, to occur for the UFC to be uh, losing any sort of battle, the bigger battle, right? So um, we'll see if any other fighters kind of take into their back pocket and, and take this into their brain and say, hey, you know, next time, next year, I'm going to try to advocate for more for myself, but with the way that the contracts are structured and how often does that actually happen, it might not be necessarily realistic to think that this is something that's going to occur often, but that would, in, in, in changing the sport as a whole, it would have to happen quite a few times for, I think, the UFC to, to really, truly start sweating. Since most of us guys feel like Nganu won this first round, I don't know if they're going to have more rounds or what, or won this fight versus the UFC, I wanted to ask you guys even more specifically, what do you think the UFC might either regret or just feel the biggest loss may have been because of the fact they're no longer associated with the baddest man on the planet? Uh, We'll go back to Goes here. Goes, any thoughts here on any regrets or just seeing the way it played out on what could have been? Well, yeah, I mean, the John Jones fight would have been massive, right? And and we always talk about, I'm here in Las Vegas, Georgia, usually here in Las Vegas, but that big old stadium, Allegiant Stadium, uh, when you see all these big acts that come there, I imagine the UFC at some point wants to be part of that, right? And there's only a few fighters that could maybe carry something to happen there. And I would imagine Francis Ngannou and John Jones would be two of those. Yeah, I, I think uh, that would have been a lot of fun, the matchup itself, whether it happened at the stadium or not. Uh, it just it going away. I think really stings the UFC. Mm-hmm. Mike, can you think of anything else where the UFC is like, damn, we blew it? Even though they might not, they they're not going to be public about that. They're not public about their L's. They got to be feeling something here. We're all not stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's a big fight that could have happened that they lost. I mean, there's been some super fights or however you want to describe them over the years that the UFC has failed to put together. And John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, assuming it never happens, is one that goes on that list of fights the fans never got. And, you know, I know Dana doesn't really trump that that line out the same way he did earlier in his career is, you know, we, we listen to the fans, we make all the fights the fans want, all that stuff, because it's simply not true anymore. Like we've seen uh, enough examples at this point to kind of poke holes in that argument. So, yeah, I think that's obviously one of the key things here that would have done, I'm assuming, pretty well 
on pay-per-view higher than I'm sure their average event if you had Jones and Ngannou fight. So like that would have been something that would have been good for them. I don't know if it was big enough to go in Allegiant Stadium, all that stuff, but it would have been a, a marquee fight and a huge one for the heavyweight division and obviously would have maintained the lineage of the heavyweight title. Like now you have this whole broken up thing where you have Francis outside the UFC, John Jones is the champion, Tom Aspinall is the interim champion, and there's a good chance none of those three guys will ever fight each other, which seems a little ridiculous and backwards. So this was kind of the genesis of it. But do I think the UFC really cares? Not really. I, I don't think they're losing any sleep about it. I'm sure they see another John Jones fight in their horizon. Tom Aspinall is a good person to maybe take that over, whether he fights Jones or Stipe or not. So I don't think they're losing any sleep. I don't think they're kicking themselves. But uh, I'm sure they know somewhere in the back of their mind that you know, given what Francis has done and all these things like that, they had a big fight there in their pocket that they didn't uh, successfully make. And what about guys? What about the one that happened that they could have been a part of? Because I know we've talked about it goes, Mike, you reinforced the point. Hey, we stood our ground, you know, only Conor McGregor can pull, can pull this off. But, you know, there's some thought that maybe McGregor and someone like an Nganu could pull this off. And not only did Nganu show up better in the boxing ring, than McGregor did again. We all arguably thought he won. Could they have left money at the table every time Dana White comes out after pay per view? Mike, you've been to plenty of these. Nolan, uh, the gate is nine million, ten million. His face is glowing. You guys mean to tell me that they wouldn't have made more than that? Are, you know, there's rumors that they made fifty million from the McGregor and Mayweather fight. That they wouldn't have made more than the nine, ten million than they do from a pay per view, just being a part of it and just promoting it. And they would have kept the guy that arguably almost beat Fury. No thoughts there on that one? I mean, sure, they could have done it, but like, do they really care? The UFC is basically printing money at this point. So like, is that is that cut that they would have made? Like, sure, it would have been good, but is that worth, again, the potential fallout? Then you have Sean O'Malley being like, you know, help me set up a fight with whomever, Gervonta Davis or Devin Haney or whoever he wants to call out. So like, again, it's the UFC wants to protect itself foremost over uh, these type of things. And I think, in some instances, they're probably willing to put money aside. Maybe if they had got Francis into like a you know six fight deal, they could have done this somewhere. But you know they would have done wanted to do Jones first, and if he had lost that, is a Tyson Fury fight even you know feasible or something people would care about? So uh, it's a lot of kind of trying to go through the history and make some revisions and you know what ifs and stuff like that. But honestly, uh, if you're Francis, especially, why would you want to do that? He got you know the entirety of his payday instead of having to split anything with UFC. Maybe they could have helped promote it and made it a bigger fight or whatever, or a cleaner fight. We wouldn't have had to sit through an hour and a half concert before <laughs> uh, the main event went down. But yeah, like there's, I don't know. I think it worked out pretty damn well if you're Francis. I think you have to remember too, our, our feelings going into that fight were a lot different. I think a lot of us were soured on what we saw there with Mayweather and McGregor. I don't know that everybody and their mother lined up to pay for this thing. I think a lot of us heard from other people, hey, this was actually a good fight. Uh, but going in, I, I don't know that there were that many people excited. Yeah, I mean, we all thought he was going to get destroyed. That yeah. was the, the reason. Well, fair point. But there happy is the he was going to make power. Money. Fair point, but there is the one punch power that heavyweights do occupy not that say that mcgregor doesn't but he was literally fighting the most the best defensive boxer of all time with zero experience not that and has got a ton but at least he came mm -hmm. through boxing before he became an mma guy but you know what go ahead i was gonna say think about what he set up just in that one fight because how many people want to see them fight again right and he could lose that one but i think he's done so well that Maybe even that Deontay Wilder fight, right, could be on the table. Anthony Joshua, like those paydays are absolutely massive. And they're only going to get bigger because of that performance. So Francis Ngannou has really laid the table nice for him here in the upcoming years. Mm -hmm. And I say All this right. from a position of being an MMA, or excuse me, a boxing casual. I do wonder how many, how, if going forward boxing, the, the more hardcore boxing crowd will be more invested in Francis, like seeing him fight Wilder, seeing him fight Joshua, whereas... The Fury thing, did they view it a bit as of a charade, right? Like, was this more for MMA, a boxing match for MMA fans? Or was this a boxing match for boxing people? I'm not really sure. But I think going forward, he'll have that respect from the boxing community where, you know, oh, shit, Francis is, you know, fighting Joshua or fighting Deontay, and he did that to Fury. Like, we got to watch this now. He's actually pretty good. So I think that's a big feather in, in, in Ganu's cap going forward as well. 
Mm -hmm. Crisco Wild in the chat room says it would have been nice to see Francis versus John at UFC 300. This could be a troll, but some fans just think different. I don't know. Joey says a lot of people, including me, didn't care about Ngannou when he was in the UFC, so we don't care about what happens with him outside the UFC. He's good. He's got power, but he's blah. Man, I, I wholeheartedly disagree. The way he smashed Miocic, the first fight was garbage. <laughs> so was the one against Derek Lewis. But, man, the way he smashed Overeem, holy cow. The way he smashed uh, Miocic the second time. Uh, and then him and Jarzino, I mean, they threw down, you know, quickly. I, I, I don't know. I disagree. I, I had a lot of fun watching. Fr I never wanted him to leave. I respect his decisions and things like that. But I wholeheartedly agree. So does Chris Wild. He says, you're nuts. Francis is inspiring. He's an all-time great in the making. Anyway, all right, guys, we move on with the UFC and Francis Ngannou parting ways. UFC out of vacancy in their heavyweight division. On March 4th at UFC 285, John Jones filled that vacancy and became the undisputed heavyweight champion when he submitted Cyril Gan. Jones became the eighth fighter in UFC history to hold multiple belts in different weight classes. Champ champs, if you will. For many, this cemented, the second title cemented Jones as the goat all right guys so you know what did you think about the way it all went down there was no i like it when the incumbent gives the belt to the new guy but jones is a goat for crying out loud it's not like we didn't know who he was reflect back to earlier this year on the fight the achievement itself let's go to mike for the first take here yeah, I mean, it, it ducktails perfectly from our last topic, right? Like, this was an amazing moment, as we see here for John, amazing performance and everything. How much more special would it have been if he had done that to Francis Ngannou? Maybe not winning the same manner, but if he had beat him in that fight to become the heavyweight champion, it would have just uh, unblurred a lot of lines. But regardless of who it is and how it went down... Uh, you know, did this solidify him as the GOAT, which you kind of said there? It did for me. I mean, we did uh, our top 30 fighters in UFC history this year with kind of the 30th anniversary. I know John Jones didn't make it number one in our kind of master list for the whole staff, but he was number one on my list and the person that I voted for. And this performance had a lot to do with it. Uh, George St. Pierre probably would have been number one if it was not for this. So, like, yeah, it left something to be desired. Obviously, it was a really quick fight. Uh, John went in there and simply dominated. It was a little disappointing on Gon's side that he wasn't able to put up more resistance. And uh, I think kind of the people who maybe had some doubts about his grappling and stuff like that after the Francis and Gaudu fight, this was like their worst case scenario for them. And he even he admits he made some rookie mistakes in there. So that kind of is what it is. But you can't take anything away from John for that, right? Like he went in there, applied the techniques and and got the finish and uh, was pretty flawless in capturing that title. So this was a legacy enhancer for sure. Uh, you just wonder, like, where does it go from here? I'm sure we'll get into all that with John Jones. But, like, on the night, this was a special thing. We hadn't seen John fight in three years, I think it was, at that point. So, yeah, it was any time you get to see this guy fight, it's pretty damn meaningful. And uh, for him to do it on the stage with that performance is definitely kind of one of the uh, high points of the year. And having John Jones back in the fold has changed a lot. Um, I think we'd be having a different conversation right now about kind of where the future goes. Uh, maybe he's retired at this point if he doesn't pull out of that fight with uh, an injury and ends up fighting Stipe Miocic in November. So again, a lot of what ifs and all that kind of stuff with John Jones. But um, if you're talking about that night alone, it was definitely a, a significant one and one that's going to be a defining point in Jones's legacy whenever he wraps up his career. Mm-hmm. Nolan, let's go back to March 4th, UFC 285. What were your thoughts, man? It all went down so quickly. Uh, it's pretty historical, you know, maybe almost too quick. But what were your thoughts? And then, of course, let me get something else from you as well. Secondary. Uh, Jones versus Miocic was supposed to take, later, take place later in the year. It's been rescheduled for probably the second half of 2024. Uh, how are you feeling about that going forward? But let's go back to March 1st of yeah. this year and this win. Yeah, it was special, man. Uh, for me, it was one of those MMA moments where um, there's certain things, and I, I think I've said it to you guys working with you every day, where you get kind of you get really sick of hearing about so and so coming back, right? Like I feel like that way with Connor now, where it's like he's coming back. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's in the pool. He's out. He's not. He's not. Like I, I just my brain sometimes it just stops caring, right? And so for John, I feel like 
that had gone on for so long that he was kind of pushed out of my consciousness um, a bit. But when that fight week came and it was time for him to step back in there, to me, man, it was just, it was a pretty special moment for him to go in there against a, a guy that I know now looking back on it, it's easy to say, oh, Surreal put on a, you know, put on a poor performance and he should have worked on his grappling. And all it was was a takedown and a kind of a weirdly angled guillotine choke. But going into that fight, I think, and even since that fight, I, I think Surreal Gone is a pretty legitimate test. And for John to just go in there and essentially make him look like, you know, a layup sort of fight, like, me trying to tell my friends that are casuals about this fight that no, like that guy's that guy's actually one of the top heavyweights in the world. This isn't just some sort of setup fight. It was hard for them to believe. So good on good 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 on John Jones. Um, like Mike said, he solidified himself uh, as my goat as well. I think he was probably already the goat to me going into that fight. Um, I know there's we could go on and on for hours about that as we did with our um, you know our rankings uh, our rankings show that we did. But to answer your second question, going forward, kind of spinning it forward. Um, John versus Stipe, I'm not as, I'm not very like overly excited about it. I do understand the aspect of it that to, to kind of go back on that fight would screw Stipe to a certain degree. It's not Stipe that pulled out of that fight, right? It's not his fault. Um, so I understand from the UFC's perspective, I understand from a, a fighter treatment perspective that they want to make that fight. And to be honest with you, man, we know how these things work. It's, I don't think any of us sit here and pretend that we think that this the sort of matchmaking that goes on in the sport is 1,000% objective and merit-based, right? Like, there will be more people that I think that will sign up to watch because we got all these ca- the, all the casual fans coming in that know John, they know Stipe. That would be a fight that would sell more. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm underselling the power of, of Tom Aspinall, who could very well be the best heavyweight in the world. And that's the fight that interests me the most. But I also understand why they're going in a different direction if that makes sense goes to do the watch alongs every month here on mma junkie with you i know you were blown away from you uh, by his performance uh and you know i know where you ranked him in the greatest on our list of the 30 greatest fighters in ufc history so i'm going to skip ahead a little bit let me ask you something jones has a serious injury he did take the bull by the horns got a surgery immediately but still he's older he's got a lot of wear and tear what if he just were to retire i mean we've seen crazy things on our, and during our run, you know, how, how would you feel about this? Is this maybe what the UFC would, would need to just start moving forward and put the whole Ngannou and Jones and all that saga behind him? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think his life is always more fun when he's an option, right? But I'm kind of with Nolan when when we were sitting there waiting for him to bulk up and all that. It was just kind of that feeling of just tell me when you're ready to go and we'll all get excited again. And when he finally did come back, you do feel a different energy when a guy like John Jones does fight. It is a big deal. Uh, you He's one of the guys you want to say you were there to watch him fight live. So to see him go away, it would sting, but it doesn't affect my pocketbook. I mean, I think that's where it affects the UFC is, is the pocketbook, but it wouldn't, as a fan watching it, maybe I, I would tell you Khabib going away probably stung me a little bit more. I think there were more matchups that I think I would have liked to see happen moving forward. But with John Jones, Maybe it's that feeling that we still don't know. We still have like a few questions about him because he made such short work of Surreal Gone. We want to know what would happen if 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 a heavyweight John Jones went into the later rounds. If if he fought some of these other names, there's always that that whole Francis Ngannou thing, right? Man, what if there's so many questions out there that I think it would sting a little bit. But uh, I think Mike said it earlier in the show, like the UFC just moves on. You know, some of these big, massive stars that have retired, UFC still cleaning house money-wise. So it'd be sad, but uh, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world, I think. Mike, I know you got a lot of stats on your head, so let me throw something at you real quick. He's the greatest uh, light heavyweight of all time. He's probably, I know he's your GOAT of all time, meaning just the greatest bar none any weight class. But what about just isolating the heavyweight division? What would he need to do to become the greatest heavyweight of all time, in your opinion, if he were to stick around and give us a few more fights? Yeah, I mean, beat, uh, I guess, Stipe Miocic, beat Tom mm-hmm. Aspinall, and then maybe like one more after that, two one more, more, I guess, depending on who would like stand out from the bunch as the logical person. Uh, but yeah, like I, we've talked about this kind of on the history of shows and what seems to like establish the greatness of these champions is did they defeat like the multiple eras of fighters, right? Like they, he could defeat someone like Stipe who came up kind of with him kind of before him however you want to call it uh someone like surreal gone who 
is I'd say not like middling tier. And then Tom Aspinall, who's came charging up like way behind him in terms of like a different era. So if he can get through those various layers in another division, because he did that uh, multiple times over at light heavyweight, I don't think he needs the the eight title defenses or whatever he got in that weight class nine. Uh, but a couple here would, would probably do it. Um, it's hard to compare like the Stipe thing is more just for the resume as opposed to like the quality of the win at this point, just given where he's at age wise and record wise and all that stuff and layoff wise. But uh, that would be good if you're kind of just looking at the whole resume. And I think he knows that and how you assess that. And I think he knows how people in MMA just maybe sometimes look at it on paper and assess that way. But yeah, a couple wins, I think does it two title defenses, maybe three, if he can break that record, that would obviously be huge for him as well. But uh, I'm hard pressed to think we might get four more John Jones fights. The record is four by Stipe Miocic. And then, of course, you got the wild card that's Fedor Emelianenko for some hardcores. Um, but, yeah, if he beats Miocic along the way, he may not need to reach four. So that would be the trade off there. But, man, I'd love to see it. Hopefully he gets healthy and we see something in 2024 from John Bones Jones, something with Aspinall, something with Miocic, just anything, man. This heavyweight division, holy cow, it's been frustrating the last few years. But we move on. The UFC and USADA announced they're not so amicable divorce this year. Effective, uh, well, like a few days from now. I'm not really one to watch. <laughs> After eight years, the UFC decided to go in another direction. And now their athletes will be tested by Drug-Free Sport International. According to USADA CEO Travis Tigert, the partnership had become untenable. That's what he said. UFC executive Hunter Campbell stated that USADA's handling of Conor McGregor's return to the testing pool as disgusting. Guys, what do you think of this whole ugly mess, the way it ended? Do you side with the UFC or USADA? Nolan? It was definitely interesting to see it play out. I, I don't know if I can really take a side, but I will say I think that USADA came across to me as a bit surprisingly unprofessional given like their standing in this whole the way that this system set up right for the UFC side I mean we've seen Dana White we've seen you know the promotion itself kind of at times be a bit unprofessional but I think that comes with the territory of a promoter is going to say things that promote fights the, the cert, there's certain bodies that are involved in the system that are supposed to stay as kind of the mediators of right and wrong. And so for me, if USADA was supposed to be regulating the UFC, I felt like the, the, that statement they put out was, a, was surprisingly kind of like taking shots. And it would, to me, I, I get it to a certain degree. Maybe they felt like their integrity was being challenged behind the scenes. We don't necessarily know all the details of everything that was going on in the backroom discussions. But I did feel like there was a lot of conflated issues in that statement. It seemed like it mixed in Connor with the, the termination of their deal. Were those things related? It, it, it seemed like um, Tyson Tigart was a bit uh, hesitant to explicitly say that in some of the interviews that I, that I read with him. So for me, I, I definitely think like going into the situation, was I surprised by what the UFC was doing? No, not really. Was I surprised by the way USADA was handling it? I was a, a bit. So I don't know if there's winners or losers here. I, I think that some of the things Hunter Campbell and Jeff Nowitzki were saying at that press conference, I agree with. I, you know, I think having fighters have to you know test the night before weigh-ins in the middle of the night when they're trying to sleep and cut weight, stuff like that. Does that does that make sense? Was was some of the things that USADA, there was a number of different things USADA was doing that didn't seem very practical. It seemed to, at times, be detrimental to the fighters, right? I mean, we've seen how many drugs, you know, it, it took a long time for some of these substances that were eventually deemed to be, you know, tainted supplements or uh, the pulsing issues, things like that, for them to incorporate rules and boundaries where it seemed to me that drug testing kind of at times, and people could make the greater argument for it, that it, there are arbitrary lines drawn in, in this whole thing. So I understand some of the the aspects of what the UFC was hoping for out of USADA that they didn't get or that it took too long or that maybe they were butting heads in that regard. Um, we don't really know much about the program that's coming up. It does seem like it's self-run. George Pirro, the former uh, interrogator for the US, uh, he, he was one of the guys that um, questioned Saddam Hussein. He's going to be running it. 
Um, he's a very heavily, uh, he, he seems like a guy that's passionate about combat sports, about jujitsu, but let's see what he has to offer about drug testing. Right. I don't know. I don't think to my knowledge, he has any sort of experience doing that. So I, I do like some of the changes that the UFC has mentioned. Um, but I also think there are some red flags when it comes to them having like an employee run it versus kind of a totally independent body. So I, I kind of have to wait to see how things play out to, to really give you a gauge. I think my understanding is George Pirro is going to, at some point, talk to the media. Um, I don't know when that will be, if it will be just select kind of interviews or if he'll do like a press conference sort of thing. Um, that's what I'm hoping for as well. So hopefully we get some more things answered um, when he takes over on, on January 1st. Mm-hmm. All right, goes. They were referred to as the gold standard when they first shook hands about eight years ago. I remember you and I went to the Red Rock when they made this announcement. I remember Lorenzo Fertitta saying, it's over. You can't use anything. If you use it, you will get caught. But now it is over. So who do you side with, man, the way this went down, UFC or USADA? Well, I mean, I think they were the gold standard when all this started, right? But since then, there's there's been a lot of companies that have come up and there's more options. And so when you start weighing down some of the things that USADA did that the fighters didn't really like, they just seem like common sense things that, that could have been fixed fairly easily. And, and they weren't. At the same time, is it is it really the UFC that's just blown away that their fighters weren't treated well? Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I think there's a little bit of blame to go on both sides. I think um, when Conor McGregor's running around saying the things that, that he's saying, a good partner would probably put their foot down and say, no, it's not like that. This is the way it really is. And that would probably take some stress off of USADA, right? And the things that they have to answer for. So I think both of them could have probably done some stuff, but I agree with Nolan in the sense that the way USADA handled things, it did not come off very well. It just looked like a very, very bad breakup and very unprofessional. And some of those things they said in the UFC on the flip side, their press conference, I was really impressed uh, with that. I thought a lot of good information came out of that. I think um, Hunter Campbell and Jeff Nowitzki kind of held their, you could tell they were upset at times, but they kind of held their cool and gave us a lot of answers and gave us some sort of direction. What happens with uh, George Pirro going forward? I love the fact that he loves combat sports and and he has a good uh, record when you talk to people who have worked with him in the past. Hopefully, things will play out in a positive nature for mixed martial arts and for the fighters because I do think it is a really big deal. But we kind of have to let it play out first and see what happens. Mike Bond, do you have any concerns with the UFC kind of running its own drug testing program? Like it does seem like George Pirro is an employee of the UFC. I know that the drug free sport international has already been a part of the collecting process for USADA. So there's some good sense in the, in the, there's some good stuff that comes out of this in the familiarity of how the programs run, you know, maybe clean it up a little bit, uh, along the way, like go said, common sense. Does it need to be 6am? Whatever. But your thoughts on just the fact that uh, it does seem to be, you know, a UFC guy that's going to be running this program. Yeah, there's definitely like a, a few red flags there. I guess we'll, these are things we can ask George whenever we finally get the opportunity to speak to him. But yeah, I mean, like, does it give me more pause than the UFC's relationship with USADA and the fact that they were giving them all this money and that even though it's supposed to be like independent, there was clearly still some things that went on as far as like the influence and how the program is structured. And, you know, like they did have, if they wanted to allow Conor McGregor to come back and give him uh, that exemption, they could have, they gave it to Brock Lesnar and it backfired on them. Um, there's clearly like instances of, you know, the stuff that happened with like John Jones and, uh, you know, them relocating an event. I know that was like more uh, athletic commission based in terms of location, but there is like some sway that they had um, because of like the nature of the relationship. So I think that just continues in a way, but just from a different dynamic. Right. So uh, I think everyone still kind of needs to keep their, um, their ears up and all that kind of stuff. And just like, take a, take a look around at some things that happen as this unfolds. Is it kind of being suspiciously run? Is there, um, maybe a little bit too much uh, like synchronicity between the UFC and how this is run as far as that being like independent. So yeah, there is concerns there. Uh, I'm sure they will get asked about them over time, but yeah, is it just going to be one of those things where they're able to just make changes at the snap of a, of a finger because they don't really have anyone to adhere to. Whereas it seemed like, you know, you saw to at least had uh, some history behind it, some precedent for certain things. 
Um, how much of that are they going to pick up on and how much are they just going to scratch aside and, um, you know, just kind of do it willy nilly. Those are, those are the bigger concerns on my end. Good stuff, guys. All right. Topic five, Conor McGregor. Of course, we got to talk about the most polarizing, most popular fighter in the history of the sport and chat room. If you can hit that like button for me, that would be great. It helps out the show tremendously. Also, chat room, one more thing. I want to know, who do you want to see Conor McGregor face in 2024? Because that's when he'll be back. The guys and I are going to discuss this in topic number five. The sport's biggest star, as mentioned earlier, well, he's back. That's right. He re-entered the USADA testing pool on October 8th. According to USADA, he must be in the testing pool six months and pass at least two tests before competing. That, however, would make him eligible to compete at UFC 300 on April 13th, 2024. And, of course, McGregor's return will have a domino effect in that so many other fighters' careers could possibly be rerouted in two different weight classes, lightweight and welterweight. That's how big of a guy, of a star he is. So I want to know about his 2024, but... Let's go over some of the stuff that happened in 2023. Guys, you might have to help me out. Let me know if I missed any. He coached the Ultimate Fighter earlier this year. Those allegations from some uh, uh, that something that took place in Ibiza on a yacht in 2022, they came out in early 2023. He had an incident with a young lady uh, in Miami. That was uh, during the NBA playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. No, I'm not talking about the mascot he socked up. That was yet another one. Uh, although I think he just went a bit too far. The guy doesn't know his own strength. He's like Bam Bam from the Flintstones, for crying out loud. But in May 2023, remember he was going to enter the USADA pool then? I don't know. It kind of goes a lot uh, against a lot of the things uh, that, that involve the Notorious because he had some quotes this year that just tripped me out at the Nganu fight in Saudi Arabia. He says, I want to fight. I'm being kept from making my living. This past weekend in Saudi Arabia, he was there for the next boxing event. He was saying, my patience is wearing thin. But again, that USADA thing, holy cow, he needed to get back in the pool before he could fight. Now, going forward in 2024, what's to be expected goes. You're up first. I'm Dude, if his patience is wearing thin, I can't imagine what our patience is like at this point. We've been waiting a very long time to see this guy come back because when he comes back, I mean, he does kind of change the sport, but he has done a lot of things outside of the cage that he's constantly in the news. Some of it was bad, George, you know, that, that you brought up and some of it was kind of funny, you know, when he got in the, in the, the ring at BKFC, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Mike Perry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if you're the UFC and you see that you're probably not too happy. If you're BKFC, you're probably flipping over chairs that you're so excited. Uh, but the shove on Michael Chandler, that basically made us all sit there for those weeks and watch the ultimate fighter and kind of gave it a little bit of new life. But, that story needs to be continued. It needs to finish. We need to see him fight Michael Chandler. And when he comes back, we'll have to see if he's the same guy. I mean, that injury was super nasty. Like, I don't know. I don't know that he comes back the same guy after something like that. But what he definitely needs to do to carry on this Conor McGregor persona is he's got to win. There's no way around it. You have to win because uh, there are quite a few fighters out there that now have a little bit of scoreboard over him. And you can only talk so much without actually winning. Mm hmm. All right, Mike, how about you, man? In 2024, what do you want to see out of McGregor? How does this unfold? Says, sounds like he wants to fight. Maybe we get two fights out of him, but it can't start till April, at least according to what USADA said. And I believe UFC officials have also said they'd like to continue those six months through, uh, through the new regime, which will be Drug-Free Sport International. Yeah, as they should. Uh, that's clearly the right thing to do if you're going to start this kind of uh road back for him in terms of the testing like ideally you'd finish it and i mean what was the whole point of this if you're not going to right like the press conference that we just talked about in the last segment with uh jeff Nowitzki and hunter campbell and stuff they were pretty adamant there that they never actually considered giving him an exemption to come back earlier believe that if you if you may or if you want whatever but um yeah like this has obviously been a, a long road for him and i'd like to see him see it out but that puts in the timeline of him, you know, fighting maybe at UFC 300 or will he, right? Like he's clearly very frustrated. That's one thing that you can tell. And it seems genuine. Like he, I don't know what was going on with him in Saudi Arabia this last weekend, but when I was over there for the Nganu fight and he spoke to us on the red carpet, like you could see the passion and like the, the desire to fight and just everything felt very genuine in that moment and him wanting to get back. 
And I think then he thought it was going to be April and then now it might not be till July. And then who knows where it is after that, um, what they're going to end up doing here. But it seems like there's something going on as far as trying to book this Conor McGregor return. What that is exactly, I don't know. Uh, Nolan, I'm sure, will reference his interview with Adi Attar that he had at the World MMA Awards where he kind of discussed the process that's been in the works. But yeah, I, like I just don't know, I guess, what the the delay is and confirming this thing. Maybe there's something going on with the drug test. Maybe they want to wait till this is completely wrapped up. I don't know, but uh, it's clearly not going the way that Connor wants it to. And his frustration is boiling over. We could all say that this was very uh, self-inflicted. He should have just gotten the pool earlier. What was he doing that maybe could have prevented that? Whether it's recovering from the injury, uh, preparing his physique for the Roadhouse movie, which we know changed <laughs> during that time he was filming. So, like, there's a lot that's happened here, right? So, uh, but I think I speak for most people when I say that we do want to see Conor McGregor come back, whether you want to see him lose or see him win. Uh, the sport is better off when he is competing, when he is active, all that stuff. Uh, credit to him when you name all those things that just happened in 2023. Like he's able without fighting to keep himself in the headlines pretty much on a weekly basis. And that's something that people used to praise like Floyd Mayweather for during his, uh, you know, later years, especially when maybe he wasn't quite as active. Like he might not be out there doing these things, but he can still consistently get a headline on his name and feel like kind of the biggest thing in their corner of the sport. So, yeah, I, I just think, we're going to get more of this same stuff with Connor until he finally doesn't get a fight booked. Uh, maybe there's a little bit in the back of my mind wondering if we're ever going to get that. But if I was a betting man, I guess I would say we do see Connor fight in 2024. It's just when exactly is it going to be the opponent? I don't know. You'd hope it's Michael Chandler just because you'd feel so bad for the guy if you didn't get it. But Nate Diaz is out there teasing UFC 300. Maybe something makes sense. Audi told Nolan in their interview that uh, he thinks the Dustin Poirier fight part four needs to happen. So uh, Michael Chandler definitely isn't the only option, but I, I hope they do keep uh, good faith with him if they do book a fight for Connor. You know, before we turn it over to Nolan, Mike, I will say sometimes I wonder, he's got the resources, the money. I wonder if he's ever self-tested and it's just been pulsing uh, nanograms, picograms or something that just made him uncomfortable along the way because that delay just killed us. You know what I mean? But the chat room is saying Ch uh, Connor Chandler, according to Mika Reynolds, that's what he wants. No Show 21 says Connor Diaz, UFC 300. So a lot of you are participating with what I asked. Crisco Wild says, I'd rather see Connor versus Chandler. Uh, no show. No, he says Nate Diaz, 100%. Uh, let's see, Mika Reynolds. Diaz and Chandler, both potentially tough matchups. Maybe even, maybe Diaz slightly better. And Mike, like you said, man, the Poirier matchup, if they did it again, who's going to turn that one down? Connor versus Gagey would be cool. Lots of stuff here. Nolan, you did get a chance to talk with his manager, and of course, you haven't weighed in on this topic. But what do you think, man, happens in 2024 with the Notorious? Yeah, I think he certainly fights again. I think it will probably be against Michael Chandler. Really, the only thing that could intercept that is what you mentioned just now, which would be Nate Diaz. I think, um, you know, that's one everybody involved, right? Uh, Dana, you know, Connor, Nate, managers, media, training partners, whatever fans have always said needs to happen so that that will have to happen hopefully it's not you know the trip like the geriatric trilogy that we saw between chuck liddell and tito hopefully it's not 15 years from now that oscar de la hoya is promoting the, the trilogy fight so if the if the ufc Great. feels that this is the only clean. opportunity to, yeah <laughs> to get that done like then yeah maybe michael chandler will be pushed out but i, I have a feeling just with the everything the way that things have been going for him to be essentially voluntarily out like a year for no reason michael chandler like it would be pretty screwed up to to go back on that now they must have some sort of understanding with him behind the scenes unless he's just telling them he doesn't want to fight anybody else he's going to wait for the chance but i have, I have a hard time believing that so i i believe we will see him fight in 2024 it will probably be after that april date i would assume that the ufc's kind of said that multiple times now that they're still going to do the six months so again will they go back on it i, I don't necessarily get that feel um, so I think we'll see him. Mike said, you know, who knows when nobody knows. Um, you know, I, I still have that feeling that it will be Michael Chandler. It's gotta be. I just think it's gotta be, uh, we've waited too long. He's in the pool and a lot of money to be made. 
last question for you guys. We went a little long. Hopefully you guys can hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, because that's what we do here at MMA Junkie. We always over-deliver. If he wins, guys, whoever he fights, if he wins, does he walk into a title shot? Uh, goes? I mean, it wouldn't be shocking, right? Things like that do tend to happen, but I'm going to lean towards no. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike? I guess it depends what's going on. I, I'll say no, but man, if they get an opportunity to do Connor and Islam Makachev, that's just probably going to be a little too difficult for them to uh, turn their nose up at. So I'm going to say no, just because um, predicting Connor to get a fight, win a fight, and then do another fight feels like a little bit too much to take on right now. Let's just let's just get him one fight and see if he wins it. Mm-hmm. Nolan. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think even regardless of what happens a year from now, like that fight, even if it's going to happen, won't won't have happened. Um, so, can Connor make 155? I'm not really sure. Um, but Mike's on the hit it on the head. I mean, the Islam fight would be scenes, absolute spectacle. That the, the build up for that one would be something else. Yeah, he's been teasing Leon Edwards. He wants some of that. That's that's the domino effect that this guy has, man. First things first. Let's see him fight in 2024. But that's all from us for 2023 from the Spinning Back Click crew. Uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed it. Every Monday live, that's something we turned on this year. And we, of course, plan on continuing it next year. Now, next Monday, that's our normal day that we do the show live. We won't be doing it. We're going to do a special year-end show, however, on Tuesday. So tune in for that. Always keep it locked on MMA Junkie throughout uh every day so you can keep up with all the latest news in mixed martial arts we thank you so much happy holidays to everyone go out and be a champion we'll talk to you soon